Welcome to Bible study. This is Nikrita, your host. Happy to be with you today and thank you for tuning in with us. It's a great pleasure to open the Bible together and uh, learn more at the feet of Jesus, the greatest teacher. And I would like to introduce the panel today. I will say welcome to Ken. Good to have you with us, Ken. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here on this beautiful day. Brenton, it's good to have you with us also. Thank you, uh, Nick. It's uh, always a pleasure to be sharing God's Word with our listeners. Marek, thank you for joining us with a bit of coolness from the hills. Oh, absolutely. I hope it warms up. Uh, this morning is still quite chilly and cold. <laughs> nice to be here. Will, it's good to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. I feel like I'm in good company here. Len, welcome to Bible study. Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. And Lydia, it's good to have you with us again. Thank you. I feel very privileged. Helen, you're not uh, the last one to say so, <laughs> but uh, you are the one to uh, be introduced now because you are facilitating today. And uh, I would like to thank you for putting together this uh, Bible study and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It is a delight to be back, to be here. Just on one comment I'd like to make and just listening to everybody. How many on the panel are not from Australia? Born elsewhere. You might be an Australian citizen. One, two, three, four, five, six. Wow. Look at that. This just shows that we, we handle everybody from all over the world. I love Jesus and we can come together united. Thank yeah, you. That's Nick. wonderful. And Helen, just before we, I will, um, you know, pass the microphone to you. I really like to thank God for answering our prayers because you've been through a bit of a tough uh, time uh, health-wise, and it's so good to have you back with us. And, Bless you, Nick. Mm-hmm. And I just want to praise the Lord for that, and uh, uh, we are um, delighted to have you today and leading, and that's great. Helen, I will just hand it over to you. Bless you. Thank you, Nick. Yes, it's been a long almost three months. But, uh, yeah, I'm praising God. So thank you for that and thank you for all your prayers. Today we're going to explore the um, topic of the church and education. It's very, very important and it's a, a really interesting lesson. But I'm not going to spend a long time in the introduction because we have a fair bit to get through. But before we commence the study today, I'd like to ask Ken, would you pray for us, please? Certainly. Heavenly Father... As we gather together today to study your word, may we bring your words to life that all those listening may gain wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Lord, may your name be lifted up in praise as we search out important scriptures, share, and to help others understand what you have us to do in regard to living for you. Lord, I ask you would open all our listeners' hearts, see the relevance of what is being put forward today, as it is food for our spirit and life to our bodies. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. Okay, we're going to open our study to the panel. And I want you to think about and just give me a a fairly brief answer on what does the word school conjure up in your mind? And hopefully we've all got something that we can say there. Fish. 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 Excuse me, did you go to a swimming pool for lessons? No. Or to the sea? 
No, the collective noun for a, for fish is a school of fish. Ah. But that, that's aside, really, um, there are some spiritual lessons we could learn from that. But for me, having been a an educator for many years, it's an environment of growth. It's an environment of exploration. It's an environment where there are examples that young people can learn from good examples and bad examples. So that's my understanding or my mental image of school. Thank you, Len. Talking, talking like a true professional teacher. Okay, bless you for that. Ken, can something of your school days when you think? Yes, of when I think of school, I think of learning, fun, and friends. And I have to admit that most of my school time I absolutely enjoyed. I really didn't want to leave, but unfortunately they kicked me out when I was 16. Okay, we won't ask why. All right. Someone else from the panel like to add? Don't be shy. Well, we normally think of it as an institution. But in actual mm-hmm. fact, it doesn't have to be an institutional setting, but any setting which facilitates learning, uh, provides for a learning environment. It could be an outdoor setting. It could be the home. It could be the church, it could be any of those, uh, as long as it facilitates the process of development and learning. Um, I just I just want to continue on what Marek was uh, sharing, because I personally believe that uh, when you talk about education, uh, you don't necessarily um, need to, you know, to think of institutional education. And in my language, I have a saying, while we mention about the we coming all from all around the world, uh, and there is a saying, do you have the seven years from home? I'm not sure if I can translate that one properly in English, but it's something like that. If you're not um, behaving or well-educated, uh, people will say you don't have the seven years from home because after that you go to the institutional school, you know what I mean, which mm-hmm. means home, it's very important in terms of education. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nick. There is, I believe there's a difference between the word school and education. When I say the word education, yes, you've covered that well. Quite often if I say the word school to somebody outside, I get different answers. Uh, Brenton, you wanted to say something. Yes, a couple of points that haven't been touched on so far. We've touched on the issue of uh, learning, and that's appropriate. I believe one of the things I learned at school was discipline. I'm not talking about classroom discipline, I'm talking about self-discipline. Also, I believe school can be a very valuable area or very valuable place for character development. As I think someone said earlier on, either good or bad. But often your foundation principles in life, even though they're, they're meant to be in the home, often you develop a lot of your values from school. That's very, very true. And um, Lydia, I haven't heard from you. Would you like to just add a couple of words about school for you, please? Yeah, school for me was um, a, a ground where I could um, uh, learn, expand. You meet people that has uh, good and bad growth and um, discipline and from them you can differentiate and learn about it and um, as um, Brenton touched it says there is um, a a difference between school and education 
for me, the first school was in my mom's home where I learned uh, many things and uh, my foundation was made in home. It was a good foundation, was a strong foundation that uh, could be uh, a difference between spirituality, uh, which I didn't met in, in the school. And because over there I grew up in an environment of uh, Orthodox religion, I was bullied, but I was very strong in that foundation that my mom placed into my heart for the beginning. Well, thank you, Lydia. Before we go to Ken and Len, Will, you've been very quiet sitting there. Just a couple of lines on what the what comes to your mind when I mention the word school. I think a school is a place uh, where it awakens inquiry, curiosity, uh, the desire to know what uh, what is going to be presented to you in that day. When strangely, when uh, when Len spoke about fish, I did have to smile because the school I started off with, first two schools, in fact, was in an impoverished uh, scenario, uh, low economic setup, and uh, they used to bring fish and milk to school so that people could have something to eat. But a place of inquiry um, is my answer, and I think that that is very much what the church should uh, should inculcate as well. Thank you, Will. Okay, we want to keep off this in just a minute, so just very quickly, Ken. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the subject, Brenton said about discipline. I think also school carried over respect as well. A lot of that stuff was strongly brought to us at home. It was certainly carried forward in school and we respected uh, not only our teachers but many of the each other of our friends as well. Good point. Len? I just want to add to the three other comments. School is not the only place of learning. Lydia was talking about learning at home. We do learn at school. I guess that's a formative time of our lives but we don't stop learning when we stop going to school because Will mentioned that church is a learning experience too and we should be learning our whole lives through so we mustn't forget that although church and school are places of special education learning must go on lifelong Absolutely. In fact, I think we we really start to learn when, well, we apply what we learn in school once we leave school. School is very important. It's interesting that none of you said that arithmetic came quickly to your mind or geography or science. And um, I think that's very interesting because, you know, if you ask some of the kids, they will say straight away, oh, school is, is seeing my friends. And they don't relate it so much to the... Um, to the subjects, and I think that's sometimes a little bit like what people do with the church. But Brenton, before I say any more, what would you like to say? Uh, just a just a humorous comment, but it's uh, it's relevant to what we're talking about. Someone mentioned the issue. I think Will, you mentioned the issue of um, questions, asking questions. I remember my dear son James, who most of you know, said to me one day. He said, "Dad, you'll never die wondering, will you?" <laughs> 
Yes, good comment. Thank you, Brenton. Um, yes, when I thank you. When I think of school, for me, uh, there were good times, there were bad times. But I was thinking about that. What about the church? And I thought, if people don't remember when they say, "What does school mean to you? What does it come up?" They don't go on about arithmetic or geography or history or English or whatever. I thought, well, how do people feel when they first come into the church? Many people may not speak about or many people will leave and it may not be because of the lessons they've learned from scripture or doctrinal issues, but quite often it'll come back to the relationship, friendship and and love. So thank you, panel, for that. Ideally, the church is intended to be a place of what? Len, you started that before. Would you like to comment on that? I feel that there are specialist things. School specialises in certain aspects of our education and church specialises in certain aspects of our education. But, of course, the education is toward God, about God. It's about the plan of salvation. And it's also about living and working as a community Now, I've said this on air before, but of the studies done about longevity of certain people groups, one of the things that seems to contribute to longevity is belonging to a community. So when you belong to a church community, it's actually good for your health, physical health, but it's good for your spiritual health, your social health, your emotional health. And a whole lot of things. Thank you very much, Len. We've got uh, Nick. Yes, you have your hand up. And then Marek, thanks. Yes, just uh, as we talked uh, in the introduction of this um, study for today, the differences in between, uh, you know, education and institutional education. Unfortunately, even churches, Helen, these days may look like more as institutions rather than uh, uh, a place where uh, you can learn. And I would like to read a couple of passages in the Bible, if uh, if you mm-hmm. don't right mind. Ahead. And I'm going to read from First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. There are quite few words very important for us to, to consider. It says, Nor did we seek glory for, from men, either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately, longing for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Do you see here what Apostle Paul is saying? He's putting on the line all of the teachings of Jesus, which they were sharing, but they said even our lives. Now, if we will uh, practice this thing in our churches, in our homes, in our workplaces, whatever, then education will be understood differently. The reason I'm saying that, I've been to an institutional education in 
quite few things. I've been in a boarding school. I've been in the army. I've been in different places. I can say one thing. None of those ones shaped my character. My character was shaped home first and in church. When I came into church, I was a wild man. But the church shaped my character. Not the army, which was very strict back home in Romania. Not a, a boarding school. I have models, teachers, all true. But I really want to stress out the point here. How important is an environment like the church if the church is not becoming institutionalized? Thank you, Nick. Marek, you wanted to say something. Sure. Um, it's interesting that a lot of people today like to dissociate themselves with uh, religious institutions and, uh, uh, and church as such. Many people will say that I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Yes. But in saying that, we fail to acknowledge the fact that the church is the milieu that fosters spirituality. That is where our spirituality is formed. Uh, when we look at the studies that Nick has been referring to and Len has been referring to, um, how do you define spirituality? There is no easy way of defining spirituality. You can define religion uh, in terms of its practices and beliefs. <clears throat> you can then relate studies on longevity and, and, and all the health benefits associated with, uh, with religion to specific religious perspectives. So we've kind of moved away from the concept of church and religion. People don't think that's really popular. That's really trendy. The trendy thing is to say I'm spiritual. But we overlook the fact that the church still continues to, to be the main and primary environment which fosters spirituality, spiritual beliefs, shapes our outlook, impacts upon our character, plays a very, very significant role. And I, I really appreciate the fact that the study for this week looks at the church as a school, as part of the educational uh, process um, in our life. Thank you, Merrick. A good comment. Bless you for that. Does anybody else want to make a comment on that question before we go any further? Helen, just on uh, on what Marek said, it's a difference in between biblical spirituality and uh, worldview spirituality. <laughs> You've been listening to Big Questions on Drive Time, and that's what we're discussing this week. Thank you, Nick. I believe that the study begins when where all education should begin, and that's with the value of the student in light of the cross. So as a Christian teacher, that that was my motive, was to draw my students to the cross. Even though there were places I, I um, taught in that we were not allowed to, to um, talk about God, religion, Jesus, or anything like that, it, um, we can actually show people and lead them to Christ by our actions. And I think actions speak louder than words. And um, as somebody once said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So, um, yeah, that's something we're thinking about. Okay, panel, linking the church and education together, how can we actually bring that together when people, a lot of people look at the church one way and they look at schools or education as another. How do we actually draw it all together? I know we've got Sabbath school in, in our church and a lot of churches have Sunday school, but how do we bring it together that it can actually um, help people? 
I'd have to say that um, it depends what the church is like. There are some churches, they practice formalities over and over and over again. And I was reading something recently about a child attending one of those churches and was absolutely bored. Church should be a place of um, interest. It should be also a place where uh, we explore some of the ideas that are around where we can, after sorting through some of those ideas, can settle on a particular, I'll use a, a phrase that's not quite intended for what we're talking about. We, we end up having a particular worldview which is shaped by what we hear, see and do in church. I would like to say that linking church with education is what we show in every day of our life, encountering people, you know, at work, at the bus station, in the shopping center, in the neighborhood and everywhere. Because if we are showing that we are holy people in the church, knowing everything and teaching others everything and in our lives lacks these virtues, so it means we are fake people. We are not mm. the right people that are serving a holy God. So as Len mentioned, whatever we know and learned, we have to apply in our lives. We have to show it, you know? That's so true. In fact, Paul brings that all out in, in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't he? He says, if I have all these things and have not love, what's the advantage? Um, which brings me to our parable that I want to discuss today. But just before we do, I think, um, Ken, did you have your hand up? I just wanted to add a quick comment to what Lee just said. And that is uh, many churches today or churches in general, they cop a lot of criticism. And I think in all fairness, some of it's correct because uh, people in the world who are not interested in Jesus, they will often uh, not so much listen to what we say, but watch what we do. And that's the downfall, I think, of many Christians today. Right. Thank you for that comment. Okay, there's a great parable in Luke 10, and it's 30 to 37, and it highlights this principle that we're talking about, love and kindness. It is a requisite and elemental to true Christian education. So I'd like to ask, what was the point that Jesus was actually making in this story, and what should tell us about what part must be true of any true Christian education? Brenton, you'd like to say something? Well, there's a couple of interesting points here. First of all, this uh, story of uh, the Good Samaritan, and, and it isn't a parable. I know it's described as a parable. It's actually a story. It was actually an event that took place, and the priest and the Levite were actually in the group who were listening to Christ tell this. So I this was hoping was a, somebody would pick that up, Brenton. Thank this you. This was an on. event that had taken place only recently. Now, the man asking the question is, what was he? A lawyer. He was an expert in the law. In other words, he was involved in the teaching process as far as the church was concerned of the day. Now, the fact that he could answer his own question uh, begs the question itself, why did he need to ask Christ? We know that he was tempting him, 
But when he answered and Christ said, you have answered correctly, um, he really answered it himself. But the principle of this story, um, Helen, in, in a few words is this. I believe Christ is teaching here that we should do the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people. There were at least two other people who had the opportunity of helping this man and didn't, and the man who did help him by rights probably shouldn't have had anything to do with it. I believe that Christ is teaching that anybody that we see around us is our neighbour. It um, We're very strong on the global village concept these days, but um, the global village is interesting in terms of technology and other things. But I believe that... Um, Christ had the global village concept way back there when he said um, anyone who needs our help is our neighbour. But there's a comment here that I thought I'd share with you. The legal expert viewed the wounded man as a topic for discussion, the bandits as an object to exploit, the priest as a problem to avoid, and the temple assistant as an object of curiosity. Only the Samaritan treated him as a person to love. From the illustration, we learn three principles about loving our neighbour. One, lack of love is often easy to justify, even though it is never right. Point two, our neighbour is anyone of any race, creed or social background who is in need. And point three, wherever you live, needy people are close by. There is no good reason for refusing to help. Helen, if this principle of the Good Samaritan, of, of a man who was an avowed enemy of the man that he helped, if that principle can be put into life today within our society, I believe there would be a lot more cohesion and a lot more love for others. But in order to do that, we have to put aside a lot of preconceived ideas, prejudices and traditions that have built up. And we can only do that, I believe, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Brenton. Tell me, um, I've got Len and Marek and Will, you've all got your hands up. Just please, very briefly, tell us what the Good Samaritan actually did. So the man was robbed, for people that don't know the story properly, the man was robbed and there was different, um, what we would class as church people, just bypassed him on the other side of the road. But this man, the Samaritan, who was a hated person because he was a Samaritan, a lower caste, he actually put himself out, did he not? Yes. When my children were small, we... Uh taught them a text that um, love is not just words and talk, but true love shows itself in action. Yes. And I think what Jesus was pointing out here in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan is also brought out by the Apostle James in James 2, and I'll read verses 24 and 26. So it's James 2, 24. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And then in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is pointing out that it's all very well to talk about things, discuss things and so on, but unless we're prepared to get our hands dirty for the sake of other people, that love, those words and talk that we have is just empty. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Merrick, you had something you wanted to add. Well, it kind of brings up a, a few points in my mind. In psychology studies, we refer to this as bystander non-intervention. And it's amazing that uh, 
But the more people sometimes that we think are a witness to a particular event, the less likely we are to become engaged in offering help because we assume that somebody else will provide help. Now, this doesn't directly apply to the story of the Samaritan in this passage, but there is this tendency to always deflect responsibility for taking action to others, particularly if we know that others might be observing, others might be present, or others might be witness to a particular event. What what impresses me about this story, um, Helen and panel members, is the fact that when this particular lawyer approaches Christ, the very opening question that he begins with is, if I can refer directly to the words in the passage, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is it possible to inherit eternal life? Can we inherit eternal life by association or affiliation with a church, with a particular religious set of beliefs or what have you? Very clearly from this story, we see that that is not possible. What really enables us to enter into an eternal life, according to Christ's reply, is what we do, what we practice, where our heart is. And here, it's so beautifully illustrated that even though this lawyer knew everything about the scripture that there was to know, he knew the traditions, he knew the laws and what have you, was that his assurance of salvation? Absolutely not. We can totally miss the point, but when we become involved in sharing and reflecting the love of Christ, which lives in our hearts, that, Christ says, is the way that we should proceed. Thank you, Merrick. Will? Helen, we're reflecting in this lesson on uh, school and education. I'd like to say that both at school and church, we could be subjected to cold formality and a stringent curriculum, but what's often forgotten is that people have needs and they need nurture. You know, people thrive when surrounded by support and understanding. Both education or the school system and the church could fail badly in this respect. And I love what the texts actually say with regard to the Good Samaritan. Many of us think that he just delivered him to the the inn to take uh, for the innkeeper to take care of him. But the Bible actually says that uh, after he had bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine, he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. And then the phrase, and took care of him. In other words, the man took care of him himself through the night. And the next day he had to leave, <coughs> then paid the innkeeper to look after him. There is an element of compassion and care here, which we've got to remember in the, in the educational context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful thought, Will. Thank you. Ken? I just wanted to add a little thing that I personally believe is important. You may not agree. In this particular story, the person is helping someone who's in really dire need. However, we don't have to just help people that are in really bad need. Sometimes it's just a matter of doing the little thing for them. Like, uh, for example, if we have anyone knocks on our door for any reason, we always offer them a cool drink and winter a hot drink. Well, I won't give out your address, Ken, but bless you for doing that. Thank you, Nick. You want to speak? I just want to bring it very practically right now, uh, all this, uh, what we discussed so far. 
And I may put on the spot a few people here now, but uh, I'm not doing that to uh, anybody to feel uh, boastful or uh, something like that. But I really want to give an example here because we can talk about like the Pharisees, like the rabbis or all those people we talked in this story. I believe the priest and the Levite, they were very well educated, but they didn't know how to put in practice. Uh, when, when it was most needed to help their neighbor. And I'd like to just uh, give you examples here. And I'm sorry, Marek, if I'll put you on the spot here, but I know that a uh, few months ago when uh, the COVID kicked in, you know, and there was lots of uh, troubles there, we have a discussion and you told me that you really want to do something to help international students. And that's how uh, it uh, started a ministry, Marek, which you are involved every week to provide food and whatever is needed and support for the international students. Now, I would like to say also in other way, for example, Will, I know that uh, you decided to donate some of your equipment to a planting church or group. All the equipment you have for singing and that was, I think, was a very important thing to do that. Ken, I remember when you helped even myself to fix my car because I was also uh, keen to go and help other people around. And you as an engineer and uh, with your skills, you helped me to, to do that. I know, Helen, that you are uh, going all around the place, you know, particularly in the beautiful region of um, Birdwood and helping people and uh, bring counseling and support health-wise and all other things. Uh, Brenton, the same in, in the south southeast. You are uh, sharing with me many times uh, of uh, how you come across with uh, with people in need, either spiritually, physically, in any other aspects. And Len, the same, the same thing. I know that uh, you are involved with people. Even when you go and play golf, you are uh, sharing with people and encouraging people if they go into some difficult situation. And Lydia, the same, going and support that uh, ministry with Marek to to share food. The reason I'm saying all these things is not to boast ourselves, but we all need to be involved in something to help our neighbor. Otherwise, we will be hypocrites like the priest which passed by, like the Levite which passed by, and we can miss out so many opportunity right now, today, in teaching and uh, support other people. Well, thank you, Nick. Yeah, I'm reminded what the Lord says at the end of time. Uh, he says things to his disciples and they say, well, when did we do all these things? Because, you know, I think you'll find that the people on the panel, particularly, we don't sit there and, and think, oh, yeah, what am I going to get out of this? It It is spontaneous as moved by the Spirit. Merrick, you wanted to say something. It's uh, it's interesting to focus on the conclusion of the story of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer comes to Christ. He is able to give a perfect answer to the question that Christ, Christ asks him. But ultimately, at the conclusion of the story, Jesus says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. You know, Jesus had a way of always bringing it down to a very, very practical approach. He didn't attend the schools of his day where they taught laws and cultural issues and and so forth, but left very little space for spirituality 
for Christ, that spirituality always had a very practical component of helping others. And so at the conclusion of the story, he says to the lawyer, go and do likewise. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of, uh, of a beautiful quote in the book, Desire of Ages. Many who profess his name have lost sight of the fact that Christians are to represent Christ. Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. Oh, Merrick, you've given us food for thought there. Thank you. Um, Len, can I ask you a question? Luke four eighteen to 23. Christ gave a message, and I believe it was to all of us and his followers, that we, just on the same line as Merrick said, to be living disciples. Can you give us some light on, on what Jesus actually said? Yes, well, the setting is at Nazareth, where Jesus had been brought up. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Now, I realise that Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. He went to church on what we would say Saturday. Anyhow, apparently he was invited and he stood up to read and he picked a section from the book of Isaiah. And this is what he read, what I'm quoting, verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What I get out of this especially is that Jesus is our example. We're talking about the church and education. If Jesus doesn't get a mention in church, well, it's not much of a church in my opinion. But here in this particular passage, he outlined what he came to do. And I was looking at this statement and picking out the verbs. And these are the verbs. They are to preach, to proclaim, to release, and again he uses the word proclaim. Now all these, uh, in, in the first instance, he provides a message of hope, of relief for people who are spiritually and even physically in trouble. His mission was to release and relieve people from the sin problem and the, uh, the problems associated with that. I believe the church's mission is to do the same, and I believe our mission is to do the same, to teach, preach, and relieve those problems that people around us have. Thank you, Len. So we actually, we're not to hide our light. We have to be sharing disciples. We want to be sharing disciples, don't we? because we love Christ. And um, Brenton, yes. There's an important point here that uh, Len has read the texts, but the interesting point about this, which is the section taken from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, is what Christ is saying a little further down when he sat down after he had handed the scroll back to the attendant, he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was applying what he was saying we could call this Christ's CV, if you wish. Uh, what he was actually saying is that you are blind, you are captives, you need the gospel preached to you. 
Uh, we know that that is the case because we know what their response was. They wanted to throw him over the cliff and kill him. Um, I think first and foremost, before we start thinking about those around about us who need it, we need to recognise that this scripture applies to us today. And if we apply that also to the Laodicean message, which says you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, we rec when we recognise our own condition and what Christ can and will do in us, then we are empowered, then we are enabled to be able to share that with others and to pass on this good news. But Christ came, I believe, not just to save people from their sins. He came to wake them up to the desperate um, spiritual situation they were actually in and how much they needed him. And I think that's also a very relevant point of what uh, Len has read to us. Okay, so most of the people were there in darkness and Jesus came as the light of the world, didn't he? And he gives us an example too. We are called to live as light. And yes. so let's have a little quick look at the counsel that he gives us for that. Okay, what counsel does Jesus give us in Matthew five fourteen to 16? Lydia? It says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, many people and majority of people are living in our days in darkness, different kind of darkness, spiritual darkness and many others. But we and me, if I know Jesus, I would be different. If I have a connection with Jesus daily, the light that Jesus is shining into me has to shine around those around me. And uh, I have to bend down to the needs of others, to their level of their needs, uh, big or small, that are hidden behind them. So being different, uh, and it says, if I know Jesus, if I serve Jesus, I should be a different person in many ways. And the virtues that the Holy Spirit is growing and multiplying into my heart, I have to share with others around me. Okay, thank you. Um, Will, you wanted to say something. Helen, I wonder if I could read that text but leave out one sentence, and uh, it would highlight why Jesus seems to insert something that seems out of context. It says, you are the light of the world. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and so on and so forth, speaking about light. But here comes the sentence in between. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, the casual reader would read this and say, what has that got to do? Where's the context of a city now, right here within the, um, the example of a lamp burning? Uh, when you read these texts, the addition of that sentence about the city, you, you might recall a city that's built on a hill cannot be hidden, that makes us think of the cities of refuge, six of them. Maybe Jesus was pointing to that, three on either side of the Jordan. 
And you know what's wonderful about these, these cities of refuge is that the roads had to be very well marked. It was required by law. They had to be very well maintained, very good direction posts to save one fleeing for his life, very well lit for the fugitive to find. And note that these were never hidden in valleys. They were on hills. Light means refuge and life in these verses. Oh, thank you, Will. That's um, an angle that I don't think I've actually thought of. So thank you. Brenton, you wanted to say something. Yes. First of all, the light that Christ is talking about, remember he said himself that he was the light of the world. We are merely reflected light. I was studying an article this morning, Helen, I think it's relevant to our study, so I'll make it as quick as I can. I looked up on Google, has the church lost its moral authority? And I read a rather lengthy uh, treatise on this particular subject. When I was growing up, and probably uh, most people on our panel, when they were growing up, the church in society was looked to as a moral bastion of that which was ethically correct, ethically moral, and it would define the difference between right and wrong. Unfortunately, that isn't the case in 2020. When you look at a list of the people, uh, which I did recently, of the people who are most trusted in society, ministers are not at the top of the list. (laughs) In fact, they're some way down the list. And uh, I think if our light is going to shine, as uh, Christ has uh, commanded his disciples to do, the shining needs to take place because of our relationship and our walk with him. Then we are reflecting uh, that light. But unfortunately, due to higher criticism, due to uh, situational ethics and other things that have entered the church, much of what the church once stood for has been diluted. And I think it's important for us to get back to the pure principles of the gospel in order that we may be the light that Christ asks us to be. Amen. Yes, Nick. Very quickly, I want to say that we are called to be visible, not to live in obscurity. Uh, In the church is known that um, roughly only 20% of the people in the church are active and do something. 80% are just uh, feeding in there, uh, you know, uh, in, in the church. Very important to be out in the world for all the needs, for all the needs, not to live in obscurity. What ways do we actually hide our light? And we're probably not even aware of some of those ways, but in what ways do we hide our light? I, I love this little quote again coming from the Bazaar of Ages, page 498. The way to dispel darkness is to admit light. Oh, man. What's our definition of light? Christ is the light. The next sentence says the best way to deal with error is to present truth. Who did Christ claim to be? He claimed to be both the light and the truth. If our church was to be solely focused on Christ, on his methods, of his teaching, what a difference that would make. Our church would be such a vastly different institution, uh, one that would facilitate the education that we are focusing on. And, you know, the same book here speaks about the nature of true religion It shows us that it consists not in systems, in creeds, or in rites, but in the performance of loving deeds, in bringing the greatest good to others, in genuine goodness, 
that is the definition of true religion. Wasn't that all emulated in the life of Christ? We need to focus on him as the light, as the truth, as, as our best and highest example, and that will transform not only church, but will transform us individually in terms of how we relate to people and how we go about uh, um, attending to the needs of others. Thank you, Merrick. Just before I go to you, Nick, I'd just like to mention, twice you've mentioned the desire of ages. I would recommend that to everyone. To If you haven't got it, please get it. If you have got it, please read it. It is the most amazing book about the life of Christ, and I appreciate that you've brought that up, Merrick, very much. I was also reminded of a statement Albert Einstein asked a teacher one day. He said, what is the definition of darkness? The teacher kind of looked a bit vague, and Albert Einstein said, darkness is the absence of light, and Mm. I believe we can apply that spiritually. Darkness in this world spiritually is the absence of Christ. Lydia, you wanted to say something. Yes, I would like to answer the question, in what ways do we hide our light? If I know to do a good thing and I'm not doing, it means I'm hiding my light. If I will be quiet when I should speak loud, out loud, or if I'm going along the crowd and I will deny the light or, you know, ignoring the deeds of others. Uh, I was in in quite a few uh, positions quite a few times when a person next to me in a shopping center or somewhere else was swearing to God and taking God in vain. And I felt like, should I be quiet or should I speak? So I speak out nice and kindly and explain to her that, you know, taking the uh, uh, God's name in vain, it's a sin. So, yeah, it's up to the person how he's receiving. But I have to speak out loud, um, you know, to shine my Jesus light to others. Thank you. Lynn? Oh, well, I'd just like to summarize what Ledger said in some different words. I think we hide our light by missing or avoiding opportunities to show it. Okay, again, time is running short. Um, Nick, you brought up before 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 to 8, and I do appreciate that, um, that we do need to share our lives with others. Uh, and together, and we must not forget that people are watching our actions. Many people are seeking truth, and there are two texts in Scripture I'd like to draw um, as we come to a conclusion, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen and Matthew 7, 7. Any of you panel, you know, got that or would like to share a co- quick comment on those two passages, please? I can read verse 13 of Jeremiah 29. Thank you, Will. You will seek me and find me. When you seek with, when you seek me with all your heart. It says you will, you will. It doesn't say maybe. Wonderful. What about Matthew 7 7? Has someone got that one? Thank you, Len. It's, uh, this is the words of Jesus, and he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In other words, he's saying, With God, you place your request. God won't ignore you. God will accept what you have to say and where it's possible will satisfy you. A lot of people pray to God and say, Lord, I want this, I want that, I want the other. God answers prayer three ways. He says yes to some things. He says no to others. You're, and in other cases, he says you're not ready for it. But God doesn't ignore us. And uh, what 
God does, we should be responsible too. If somebody comes to us with a need, do we ignore them? Do we turn them away? Well, that's not the Christian thing to do. Did you notice in that text, uh, Len, that there was three will, and it is about the will of God, isn't it? Mm -hmm. True. And I just want to bring another passage um, from uh, Psalms 25, verse 5. It says this, Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I will put my hope in you. You see, we are, we are, we talked a lot about light, to be light, but if we don't have the truth, we cannot shine that light which we're supposed to shine. We really need to know the truth. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah, Brenton, yes. Her text came to mind in addition to what you've got here, Helen, which um, is one of the saddest texts in Scripture. Uh, in John 5, where Christ is before the Sanhedrin after healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, he says something along these lines. You search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, yet you will not prove me to have life. We live in a society, Helen, in 2020, and many of our listeners would appreciate this, as well as us as panellists. There are many people out there who go from church to church, from group to group. They always seem to be on the move. Uh, They find a bit here, they find a bit there. They search the internet, uh, they Google this, they Google that. They become uh, devotees of one particular preacher or one particular style. What Jesus was saying to the church of his day is that you diligently search the scriptures because you think that the scriptures actually contain eternal life. The rabbis had a saying that he who understood the Torah basically had one foot in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus is saying all of this is in vain if you don't recognize that the scriptures lead to me. So not only for our listeners, but for ourselves, when we search the scriptures, do we search the scriptures to know Jesus? Because he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. You can't go past that. You can't go around it. And you can't go over it. You must go directly to it. Because in coming to know him, he said himself, he who accepts me has eternal life. Thank you so much. Okay, let's just summarise here that really what effect of of value or effect is all the doctrinal light we possess as a church if we haven't learned to be kind to one another. It is a prerequisite for the church to function as a church. It echoes an Indian proverb that says, there is no point in giving a man a rose to smell after you've cut off his nose. Jesus is the sweetest smelling flower there is, but if our unkindness towards others has hurt them, in other words, cut off their noses, it would be very difficult for them to appreciate the Jesus we want to share with them. Christ disappointed the hope of worldly greatness. In the Sermon on the Mount, he sought to undo the work that had been wrought by false education and to give his hearers a right conception of his kingdom and of his own character. Yet he did not make a direct attack on the errors of people. He saw the misery of the world on account of sin, yet he did not present before them a vivid delineation of their wretchedness. He taught them of something infinitely better than they had known, Without combating their views of the kingdom of God, he told them the conditions of entrance therein 
leaving them to draw their own conclusions to its nature. The truths he taught are no less important to us than to the multitude that followed him. We no less than they need to learn the foundation principle of the kingdom of God. Well, thank you, Merrick. I think that was a, a very, very good quote. <clears throat> I just want to leave you with a thought. Robert Louis Stevenson was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, in my hometown in 1850. Stevenson recounts how one night as his nanny was getting him ready for bed, he slipped over to the window and saw a captivating light, a captivating sight. It was a lamplighter going from one gas lamp to the next. And with childish delight, he called his nanny over to him and said, look at that man, he's punching holes in the darkness. I'd like to leave you with that thought. Are you punching holes in the darkness of this world? Can the world see Jesus in you and in me? And, you know, we need to go to the community. We need to be in our church, loving and lovable Christian. And Brenton, could you just close us off with prayer? Thank you. Certainly. Father in heaven, my earnest prayer, not only for us as a panel, but also for our listeners, is that we indeed be the light of the world, reflected light. Lord, please come into our hearts. May we walk with you. May we be like Enoch. May we be like Elijah. May our lives, Lord, show a sweet fragrance, a heavenly fragrance that permeates and fills every place that we go. We pray that um, one day soon we will see you face to face. Lord, help us to be the light of the world as you have asked us to be, but help us to look to the light in order that we may reflect that light. And may that light lighten up our community, which is becoming increasingly dark. We live in a very, very dark world. Lord, may we as Christians, may the church in its role as an educator be training people to be light bearers, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, for um, contributing to this uh, Bible study today. It was wonderful to come together. Uh, we are all churchgoers, and um, we wanted to share uh, our experience, and I hope that will make a difference in the community. Now, you may not be a churchgoer, uh, dear listener, but you have to consider some of the fundamental approach in life. We are going to study next week about education in arts and science. There is room of learning from all angles of life. But I believe it's so important to put a good foundation. And today, I believe we learn that uh, we should uh, represent what we pretend that uh, we are as Christians. May God richly bless you and looking forward to see you again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. And don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.